Well, hey, while they're doing that, I'll go ahead and introduce ourselves. For those of you that don't know us, we are Tony and Becky Postwaite. So you got to meet two of our four amazing boys. We kept trying for a girl and kept failing. But our four boys are such huge blessings. Rowan, our oldest, is 11. And then our youngest, Judah, came into our life actually during the shutdown for the pandemic. And so we were in a time of, of turmoil in our country and not knowing what was going on. And we were able to bring this beautiful blessing into our life and actually have him in our home, which was terrifying at first, but ended up being one of the most beautiful experiences that we have ever had. It was awesome. So, awesome. so as you can see, this is a little bit more laid back. <clears throat> so our, our goal for this is that it feels a little bit more like a conversation, unless like we are standing up here preaching at you. We have found that we have the best, most meaningful, most open and vulnerable conversations when we're sitting in our living room with a cup of coffee with people that we love. There's no now, coffee these are, in yeah, this. Unfortunately, really there's no coffee. That, I was fighting for coffee, but she said with the microphones, we couldn't do it. But a lot of you in this room, or several of you in this room, have actually been able to come into our home and just sit down over a cup of coffee and just talk about Jesus and talk about the miracles that he's done in our lives. And so that's our goal for you. We want you to walk away from this feeling like there's a little bit of hope in whatever circumstance you're going in. And we don't want you to misunderstand. We don't think we're experts. My goodness, we have just been through four very significant valleys that would have ended most marriages, just one of those. And so what we hope to do is just explain to you and share our story about how God has worked a miracle in our lives as individuals and then in our relationship as a married couple. But before we do that, my nerves are a little shot. I'm going off the high of getting to baptize my two boys, and I was joking with somebody that I was going to cry my way through this entire service. So if you wouldn't mind, could we just go before the throne one more time in prayer? <laughs> Dear Jesus, I just thank you for who you are. Lord, I thank you that you are so powerful, that you are so kind and so loving and so just, and I thank you that you continue to patiently and lovingly pursue us even when we care only about ourselves and our way. <laughs> Lord, I pray that you would calm both Becky and I and you would give us the words to speak. I pray that you would prepare the hearts of everybody in this room that they can be able to hear whatever it is from this that you want them to pull away. Lord, I pray that you would continue to use us and shape us through this talk and convict us of ways that we need to be better spouses and better followers of you. Jesus, we love you and we trust you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, I don't feel super nervous, and I, I guess it's because I have to show this picture first. Um, is it going to happen? It's not on yet. But anyway, I was going to share a little bit of our story. Um, there's a few of you in here who remember this version of me, not the beard. So the beard was actually drawn on by a classmate in fourth grade. So thank you, Zach Gibson, wherever you are, if you're watching this, you ruined my yearbook photo. <laughs> Um, I think the dress ruined it, actually. But you can see Tony's actually standing behind me, and we are on a stage for some Christmas play. That's when we first met. And then we um, started to uh, become friends and have a friendship in high school. And um, then it, you may just have to have Danny do it. And so that's the Tony I saw, I remember, from ninth grade. Very, very skinny. About 200 pounds lighter. Yes. And um, 
there is a better picture of me on here, actually, from high school. And so, like I said, we became friends, we talked, we shared, and then um, it was kind of a love-hate relationship until college. And Danny, just go ahead and keep going. Yeah, there's high school and then into college, the next picture. Uh, that's our high school uh, senior pictures. We started dating that year officially, and that was our freshman and junior year, or freshman and sophomore years of college. And we kind of did that break that everybody goes through, you know, to see, is this the one? Is this the person I'm supposed to be with? And um, it was really complicated, and we dragged it out a lot. And I'll kind of talk about that in a minute. But this was our wedding day, and it was one of the most joyous days of my life. And um, my mom and family, they just did so much to just make it so beautiful. And I, that's one of my favorite pictures. And it just represents a day full of happiness and joy and also a day of kind of naivety, like we just didn't know what was coming. And so this next picture represents 10 years later. 10 years later, um, this picture, we have smiles on our faces, but this was a play I had written for the school I was teaching at. And... I remember thinking, well, the students that are acting in this play aren't the only actors on the stage. Because we had, at this point, gone through um, several trials in our marriage. Um, we went through financial uh, hardship for years on end. Pregnancy loss, unstable mental health, uncontrolled anger, addictions, and extreme disconnect between the two of us that eventually led to a wandering heart looking for a way out of the marriage. And so we sit here before you today, still a growth and a work in process, but praise God, we are actually not that same couple. The smiles that you see are real. Um, it's taken a lot of restoration, and we've realized largely the myths that were instrumental on that wedding day that we were believing when we came into the marriage, and it led us down the path of almost divorcing twice. And after we got married, probably the first myth that really started to affect us was that our marriage is an island. Hmm. And so we came in and believing my marriage is an island. And probably at the beginning, it was more, more myself. I was the one who believed that more than she did. And it was to a point where I thought, we do not need anybody. I don't really care about friends. I don't really care about any of this stuff. I don't care about a community of believers that I need to be part of. And I... I even went to the point that within the way that I operated in the marriage and led in the marriage, I even tried to pull her away from her family at times because I had this, this false myth that we had to be completely 100% self-sufficient. Mm. And that did a lot of damage in our marriage. But the truth is, the philosopher John Donne said, no man is an island. And studies have shown that this to be true. The American Journal of Family Therapy and David Larson of the Duke University Medical School found in studies spanning over 50 years that being part of a religious group was the most important predictor of marital stability and longevity. And they even, people that were part of a religious community perceived and were able to get more benefits out of marriage. And guys, this is also written into our DNA. So our creator has community. If you look, he is one God in three separate persons, and within that trinity, there is community. So you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that are dedicating themselves to loving, honoring, serving, elevating, and glorifying the others. And then we also saw this in the early church. 
So in the early church, we had these pockets of believers that would meet in their homes. And they would meet in their homes and bear one another's burdens like it would say on the slide. Bear one another's burdens, like it says in Galatians 6 too. Bear one another's burdens so to fulfill the law of Christ. And I believe this is one of the reasons that the early church exploded is you had these people that were doing life together. And they were meeting in their homes and they were digging deeper into Paul's letters and digging deeper into what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ regardless of the consequences. And we may not have that same structure in Western Christianity today, but that is why small groups are so important that we have this freedom to be able to meet. And that freedom is something that we know that we cannot take for granted. This last year to two years has shown us that. Um, and so we look at Hebrews 10.25 that says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as some are in the habit of doing. And you know, it's a plea not to neglect meeting and gathering together because we will need it more as we see these days of turmoil approaching. And so this is just kind of our general plug to you all. I know a lot of you are involved in, in care groups, small groups, and it's just a wonderful way to do life with people. There are times that um, we may not feel like, okay, another night you know, to, to go out this week, but we have decided that we at all costs try to make sure that, that our care group is a priority because, you know, there's always going to be a reason not to do it. And there are legitimate reasons. 2020 gave us a huge one, right? COVID, we couldn't even be together in the same room with family members, let alone, you know, be in the, in the church together. And that was a really hard time. I know I myself suffered greatly from that isolation and having a baby during that time. So I needed community. And so um, I wanted to share this really quickly. I remember there was a time in our marriage. I really wish there was coffee in this, but there's not. <laughs> I remember there was a time in our marriage where we had to choose between um, having enough gas. Well, there were several times that we had to do this. Having enough gas to either go to church Sunday morning or get to work on Monday. And um, you know, we probably didn't always choose wisely, but the times that we chose to come to church, God always provided. Well, and I remembered a time when we were talking about this. There was a Sunday that we didn't have enough gas. It, was, it had been on the empty for days, and we thought, what are we going to do? And we talked about it, and we said, you know what? We're going to make this commitment. We are going to decide to go to church and just trust that God is going to provide. And so I remember we came to church, and I remember even where I was, I was walking over towards the bank where our car was parked, and I was outside of, in the street, outside of the old sanctuary's main entrance. And then there's a friend of mine that goes here, and he's involved, I'm not going to use his name, but he and I actually grew up in church together in a different church, and he kind of chased me down, and he said, hey man, I, I'm really not sure what, what's going on, but I just felt like God was leading me to give you this. And he put an $800 check in my hands. <laughs> And we were concerned how we were going to buy groceries and pay bills that next week. And that covered all the bills, that covered all the groceries, and we were able to have gas to go to and from work and church. And so um, going into our second myth, um, my marriage exists to make me happy. And that was a, a huge lie that I was believing, especially when I got married. And part of that is because um, we have this Disney mindset and uh, one of our pastors actually calls it the Disney theology that pervades our culture. And, it, and it, it seeps into the church. And so as young boys and girls, I mean, what are the movies that we're watching largely? We're watching these Disney movies about, you know, Cinderella and her Prince Charming or whichever Disney princess you want to choose. And, and then she ends up 
falling happily ever after in love with her fairy tale prince. And, you know, I'm not trying to paint every woman or man in the same light, okay? So I understand that some people have a more realistic view. But when I came into marriage, I think um, I was expecting that Tony would create my happiness. And what the fairy tale mindset actually fails to do in that storybook ending is to go past the initial state of puppy love and euphoria. Um, you know what I'm talking about. It's when you meet somebody and it's that can't eat, can't sleep, I can't think of anything else but you type, type feeling that you think is going to last forever. And actually in the light of the length of a human life, I mean, we know, those of us who are married in here, we know it doesn't last that long. And so Tim Keller, pastor and author on marriage, says that actually our minds and bodies cannot physically sustain that state of euphoria that reacts chemically within us when we are in the beginning stages of love. So what he's essentially saying from, from his research is that it's physically impossible to hold that for the same person and here's for the, the truth rest of your life. That, oh, sorry. Here's the yeah. truth is that God did not call us to be happy. And I think sometimes we think that he did, but God called us to be holy. Go on to the next and you know, First Peter 1, 15 and 16 says, you will be holy for I am holy. We are called to holiness regardless of our feelings. This isn't easy, I know. Holiness is not easy. It is being set apart. It is looking different whether we're in a pit of despair or in the mountaintop. It's looking different to the world and responding differently um, and not in the, the expected way that someone would respond when we're going through trials. So in holiness, we actually find something more meaningful when we pursue that in marriage than anything that happiness or circumstances could do for us. And the way it kind of uh, manifested itself in my life, my leadership, my interaction with Becky and our marriage is when I thought that my marriage existed to make me happy, that came out as my marriage exists mm -hmm. to help benefit my goals, my dreams, my friends, my schedule, my wants, my desires, and I'm bringing her along for the ride. But if you look at what scripture says, especially in Ephesians chapter 5, I think Christ and Paul paints a very different picture of what a husband is supposed to be. I'm going to read 5, 25 through 28, and I'm going to read it from the message because I love the way that Eugene Peterson puts it. He says, husbands, go all out in love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church, a love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything that he does and says is designed to bring out the best in her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. And that is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor since they're already one in marriage. And I'm not going to go too deeply into this because Tony did an amazing job when he walked through Ephesians and was talking about the role with the, the holy I do. But one thing I do want to say, I think sometimes men and women get a different uh, picture of what leadership might look like in a dynamic of the home. Because we have seen the broken and not the beautiful. The broken is that the man makes all the decisions, he dominates the situation and everything is run through him and run by him but Christ paints a different picture. You see, he laid down his life for his bride. And he is all about giving to his bride, not getting something in return. Everything that he de does and everything that he says is designed to bring out the best in her and to help her be more holy. And I can honestly say, I'm getting convicted when I say this, and I did in the first service as well, I don't craft my speech and I don't 
control my actions in a way that everything I do and everything that I say is designed to help her better glorify God. So that leads us into myth three. Um, we believed, or at least I believed, and he's agreed, that my marriage will complete me. We left out the Jerry Maguire clip. Aren't you sad? We, we did. We talked about having the Jerry Maguire clip where she's like, shut up, just shut up. <laughs> But, but the we'll, whole idea we'll spare of, you that. <laughs> the whole idea of my marriage will complete me. It's the idea of that we have this one soulmate that we have to search all the different people that we come in contact with. And finally, that one person, if, you know, you do everything right and you follow God and you pray a lot, that one person will come into your life. And that will be the one that from the very beginning of time you were destined to be with and was destined to complete and that, And that really does go back to what I was talking about about the Disney culture that has invaded, then it came into the church. I don't know how many of you, raise your hand if you were a teenager in the 90s or the early 2000s. Anybody in here? Scott. Yeah, Scott, put your hand down. Um, <laughs> no, that was like my, Randy, we know you did it. Um, so that was my like time of being in youth group and Tony's as well. And um, one of the things that that time was really heavy on was purity culture. And purity culture is a beautiful thing. And it's very important for our young people to know about being pure and wholesome and, and all of that. But one of the things that I think that was prevalent in the purity culture was that there is this one. And that if you don't, if you're not like actively seeking, then you might miss this one. Did anybody else grow up hearing that at, at any time? You might miss the one that God has for you, therefore you won't be in God's will. And that was kind of scary to me. But, you know, there's literally nowhere in Scripture that even says that. Um, there's not just one person that's going to, quote, complete us or make us whole. The truth is we were never, as humans, meant to complete anyone. We can only complement somebody, and especially in marriage. And Psalm 107.9 says, For he, meaning God, satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Only Christ can satisfy that longing. And there's a lot of longings we have in marriage, right? A lot of unfulfilled desires that happen in marriage, but only Jesus can truly fulfill that. And I think it's dangerous whenever you go into it or when you're single, you think, hey, the only way I'm going to be complete is from my spouse. One, it's dangerous going into marriage, but also it's okay to be single. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7 that he wishes we were all like he was. And he was talking about being single. And if the only way that we could be completed as a human being was by having a spouse, then he wouldn't have had that. And he would have told absolutely everybody you need to get married. But the thing is, is we find our completeness and our wholeness and our identity in Jesus Christ and not in somebody else. And so that leads us into myth number four. And before I go into this myth, I just want to say that these myths are, are personal to us. I just want to pause here and say that, that maybe there are some myths that you're believing that aren't necessarily the same, or maybe they are the same, but we just hope this can be an encouragement. This next one is a little bit different, and it's a little difficult, but one of the myths that we believed early on in marriage and learned the hard way from was my marriage does not need boundaries. And what I mean about boundaries is that specifically in marriage, um, we didn't come into marriage with guarded hearts. And quite frankly, that was because we were so in love, we didn't think that we would ever think about anything else but right. each other during marriage. And so um, we did not necessarily have any what we would call guardrails in our marriage. 
I remember when, uh, speaking of guardrails, Jeremy and Lindsey Kuhn, they actually did a, a series on guardrails, and they were walking through Andy Stanley's guardrails, and Becky and I actually scoffed at them. Now, we didn't say, oh, they're dumb for having guardrails, but we said, okay, you know, that's, that's good for them. They can have guardrails, but we're different. You know, we're in love. We've known each other since fourth grade. You know, we, we know each other better than anybody, any other couple knows their, their spouse. I mean, fourth grade's a good foundation, right? <laughs> it's pretty good. Wood County Christian. But, but the reality and the truth to this, and Andy Stanley, it's actually a quote from him, that many of our greatest regrets in life could have been avoided had we put guardrails or boundaries in place. And he also goes on to say that the trick is that guardrails must be set up intentionally. You know, when you're driving, you see guardrails. They're there for a purpose. They're to keep you from going off the cliff, which is where you'll die. But, like, you might bang up your car a little bit, but it's actually going to alert you to, oh, there's danger. I just come close to a guardrail or even the rumble strips. So those things have to be intentional in our life as well, that they alert us when there's danger uh, ahead. Proverbs 27:12 says, the prudent see danger and they take refuge, but the simple keep going and they suffer for it. So we need to have boundaries in every area of life. And there are lots of areas we could talk about, but we're still specifically talking about marriage. And that looks a little different. It can actually be a little uncomfortable. Tony and I have talked about the specific boundaries that we have with people of the opposite sex. But it is possible that some of us in this room have at one time or another felt that tug at their heart, their eyes, their emotions drifting toward another person. And that's the secret private stuff that the Bible speaks of in part when it's, it talks in Jeremiah of the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10. The, the boundaries that you put in place, they are not just there to guard a marriage. They're not just there to safeguard you from doing something in your job that may make you have to change your career or lose your career. I think the most important thing about boundaries is that they guard your heart. Solomon said in Proverbs 4.23, he says, keep watch over your heart. That's where life starts. And so he understood that life can begin and end end within the heart and that sin is birthed in the heart and so you need to keep close watch over and if you have those boundaries you can protect your heart and so whether you're single or married um i just love andy stanley's thought on this he says you know there might be people in your life that you just know you can't be around people that cause you to compromise or push past your standard of integrity the people that bring what he calls quote trash into your life and end up making you feel tr like trash about your life. One of the most beautiful pictures, at least in my mind, of boundaries and guardrails is this. I don't know if you all know what this is, but this is a hoopah. And I love what it signifies within Jewish tradition. So in a Jewish wedding, the hoopah is up at the front where the rabbi and the bride and the groom are going to stand and say their vows. And the tradition that they have is at the beginning of the ceremony... The, the rabbi, the bride, the groom, the best man, the maid of honor, and the parents of both the bride and the groom all stand under that hoopah. And the hoopah signifies two different things. One, it's a roof over your head like you, this couple, is creating a home. And the other thing that it signifies, and this is in more um, ancient Jewish tradition, it signifies the Shekinah glory of God that rested over the temple. 
And so they are having this ceremony and saying these vows under the covering of the Shekinah glory of God. And they are understanding that this union is something very sacred. But then at a certain point in the ceremony, what happens is so beautiful. The rabbi, the parents, the maid of honor, and the, the best man all step out from under that hoopah. And that signifies that this is a sacred space. And this is a sacred union. And there are things within this union that should only be for you, your spouse, and your creator. Mm. And so I love that that gives such a beautiful picture of what guardrails can do. They can protect that safe and intimate space that should be between a husband and wife and their savior. Makes me want to get married again. That's beautiful. <laughs> and then that takes us into myth number five. And this one is, is a hard one. It's, it's what a lot of people say, and that is, my marriage doesn't need help, and boy, were we big on that. So Becky has always been much more in tune with kind of the heartbeat of our home, more uh, the emotional, gauging emotions and the, the climate whenever she goes into a room, and she also has been way more in tune with what's going on in our marriage. With me, it was always like, yeah, if we're not fighting, I think we're good. So if, if it was peace, I thought, yeah, no, we're getting along great. But I didn't realize that her heart was closing off to me. And so for a long time, she would actually try to encourage us to go get some help, which I thought was ridiculous. I mean, why would we need to get help when we've grown up in church? We've heard all the messages on what you're supposed to do. We even read a few marriage books, so obviously we're experts. So why would we want to pay some random guy $100 to sit down with us for 30 minutes and say, uh, yeah, you got yourself. 120, by the way. <laughs> so I would, I would say to her, look, we already know what to do. We don't need some guy to tell us. We just got to do it. We got to stop being lazy, which is a great thing to tell your wife. <laughs> Keep going. Well, and we actually did uh, meet one time during the depths of our uh, valleys that we were going through in the darkness in our marriage. And I remember Becky saying she walked out of there because I had just put on a face and I had basically just bold-faced lied to this guy, acted like nothing was wrong, tried to manipulate, gaslight, and twist it to where it seemed like she was the problem. And she said that she walked out of there, there feeling absolutely heartbroken and believing that our marriage wasn't going to get better and there was nothing that could help us. You see, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. Mm. But a wise man listens to advice. And I was such a fool because I thought I knew better. I thought I was smart. I thought I was wise. I had read a couple books, like I said, and so I thought I knew how to have a good marriage and how to serve and love this woman. But all I was doing was destroying the things that were the most sacred, precious, and important to me. And there are many reasons in today's society why we don't, especially in the church, we're ashamed. We don't feel like we need it. We don't want people to know. We're going to counseling. But let me encourage you by saying that because we know we are all broken. You came into the marriage broken and your spouse came into the marriage broken. And you carry baggage with you. And so with the different backgrounds and the fact that we don't have examples of perfect marriages. They don't exist. It is never too late. It's never wrong. It's never shameful to seek help uh, from counseling. And like the philosopher John Lennon said, he gets by with a little help from his friends. <laughs> And so he understood that from time to time, you need a little help. And in Proverbs 11, it says, where there is no guidance, a people falls. And in the multitude of counsel, there is safety. Solomon went on to say in Proverbs 19, to listen to the advice and accept instruction so that you may gain wisdom in the future. And getting help, and this is something that I believed, 
getting help and admitting that you need help doesn't make you weak. Mm-hmm. No. I thought, well, I'm less of a man if I'm admitting that, oh, I need help. I need to muscle up and I need to do this myself, but in reality, I was just destroying everything. And I know there are a couple counselors in the room, and, and I, I'm sure you've seen this over and over. But our experience was that it just really helped us facilitate conversation that we would not have otherwise been able to talk through without, you know, some harsh words. So this, <laughs> it was really helpful to have a mediator to help us work through some of our issues. And so we still have one. We still go to counseling. Yeah, we still go to counseling, and we love it. Um, number, number six and seven myths were the myths that kind of came at the very tail end of, of some of our, the culmination of some of our issues. And I remember myth number six, believing I came to a place of my marriage cannot change. It won't change. It's never going to change. It's going to be the same. And I kind of felt like a dead plant. And I kind of felt like I was broken, brittle, and I had no life with left within me. And I remember at a time we were living with Tony's mom and um, I was sitting in a parking lot at Devola Park and I just was crying. I wasn't as close to the Lord then, so I was just kind of probably listening to, you know, John Legend or something like that and just crying my eyes out. And I thought, you know, I need to just put up a wall so that I'm not hurt any longer. And so I remember that day I decided the walls are going up and I'm no longer going to let anything that's said or done affect me. But you know, the Bible speaks to that too because you know what happened? A root of bitterness started to grow and, and Hebrews 12:15 talks about that root of bitterness that grows and grows and grows and it defiles many. So it didn't just hurt him, it hurt me, it hurt our family unit. It hurt others. I would lash out because I was mad about something else to other coworkers or at the time I was teaching. I didn't, you know, I didn't maybe treat my students the way I should have. It defiled many. And so the truth is that we cannot allow that bitterness to grow. And there is no marriage that's too far gone that cannot be restored if both people are willing to truly repent and reconcile themselves to Christ and to each other. And that's from Dave and Ashley Willis. One of the things that Becky had set great boundaries and ultimately I need you guys to understand that the only reason our marriage was saved was because of the power and work of Jesus Christ. But Becky had set some good boundaries that allowed my heart to be opened up for God to start working. But another very crucial and important thing that was brought into both of our lives was accountability and allowing other people to speak truth into our lives and tell us the hard things. And I remember on November of 2018, bringing Tony and Scott and some other people, family members were there into our living room and just kind of laying everything bare and bringing a lot of hidden things that we had hidden for years into the light. And since then, more people have come into our path and come into our story and helped us. But I I do want to say specifically um, that... First of all, I couldn't have done this without Jesus changing my heart and without my amazingly beautiful, strong wife. But there were two men that walked through from the very beginning of this, walked through hell with me and getting addiction and all kinds of things out of my life. And they would listen to me yell at them on the phone and be so angry and I didn't understand and I felt like people, everybody was against me and they would, they would cry with me and they would pray with me. Uh, one is my older brother, Josh, who... 
by, by sheer providence, actually is here today, and I had no idea that he was even going to come. And the other one is Scott. And Proverbs 17, 17 said, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Josh, you were born, my blood brother, and I love you so much. But Scott, you came into my life in 2018, and you became my brother through this adversity, and I thank you that both of you were willing to tell me the hard things, and that you guys were willing to not allow us to quit on God and to quit on our marriage. And I just want to also add that through that time, I had some godly women in my life, both of my moms, my mother-in-law, my mother, and then a couple even women from the church who were speaking life and accountability into me and calling me up and out of some sin that I had been in. So it was accountability on both of our parts. And that brings us to the last. The last, and we would say the most important uh, myth and truth. And it was that my marriage can thrive without Jesus. I had allowed so much humanism into my thinking, so much humanism into my home, so much humanism into the way that I interacted with my boys and my wife. And I remember I would, we would replace reading the Word of God with reading self-help books. And I am not trying to bash books that help you become more disciplined and leadership books and things like that. Those are all great and they have their place. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is that took the place of the Word of God. Mm-hmm. And that's when it became an idol and that's when it started to destroy our life and change our thinking in a very negative And way. I just want to say that that subtle, um, slow fade is very subtle. Like all of the sudden... You think you're, you're on a path and then you're veering just a little bit and then all of a sudden you're in a humanistic mindset that is devoid of the word of God. And Colossians 2.8 says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the eternal spirits of the world and not according to Christ. And that is exactly what I had allowed to happen in our home. I was not submitting to the headship of Jesus Christ. I was following my own path and my own way. But the truth is that the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus came so that we may have life and have it abundantly. You know, we may think that we're doing well because we're following these principles. And when God created the universe, he put these principles in place. So you can follow principles that are woven into the fabric of creation, and you can get some good results. But if you want to truly thrive in your life and thrive in your relationships and thrive in your marriage, you cannot do it without Jesus Christ. Because he came to give life, and he came so we could have it abundantly. And as we start to close... I would like to share a quick story um, about something that happened at Tony's former job. So there was a dead crepe mortal uh, out in front of the place where he worked. And um, the landscaper came and said, you know, that thing is dead. I'm sorry, it's not going to bloom again. So uh, we'll replace it free of charge. So Tony had the idea, he asked if he could just take it home and plant it. And I remember he brought this Which, thing home. I don't know why, because I've literally killed every single yeah, plant we kill that plants. I've had. So it's not like, I mean, I'm sitting here thinking, okay, yeah, whatever, that thing's dead. So he plants it in our backyard. He starts to tend it a little bit and water it. And then somehow in some turn of events, Rowan goes out back, and I don't even know what happened, but he stomps on it. Stomped. And so he... 
it like broke in half and part of it fell over. So it died twice, essentially, like it was dead. And I said, you know what? We just need to get that out of there. Like there's no reason to keep this thing. Two years went by and it was just dead back there. And this spring, this is what we saw. Because we serve a creator that created that plant, created you and created me, that brings dead things back to life. And so when we sit out back, we are reminded that though our marriage was dead, and there were plenty of opportunities that we could have just plucked it out and been done with it, God had a different plan, and he knew there could be a bloom, but there needed to be some pruning, there needed to be some tending and watering and all of that stuff, and it was hard. And it's still hard, and we're not there yet. And even this last two weeks, we've had some of the biggest arguments and disagreements that we've had in three years. We've fought more in the last three weeks than we have in the last three years. And we know it was an attack. But our creator brings dead things back to life. So I just want to encourage you. I don't know where you are, whether married or single. Maybe you are feeling like that dead crate myrtle. Maybe you just don't feel like there is any life left inside of you. Specifically in a marriage, maybe you feel like your union is done. And you don't even know why you're still together. And there's no motivation to work at it. I just want to encourage you that with some repentance and with some ownership, you can come back to life. Guys, we would be remiss if we assumed that everybody in this room and everybody watching online was a follower of Jesus Christ. And so we want to end today with the very thing that saved our marriage and saved our lives, and that's with the gospel. It says in Colossians 2.13, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our sin. We were dead. We were born dead. And Christ came and he died and he took all of that shame and all of that sin and all of that punishment on himself. And then he was buried and he rose again. He conquered sin and he conquered death because he loves you and me so much. And so if you're not gonna do anything else, if you have not put your trust and faith in Jesus and the work that he did, please, I beg you, do that today. And I wanna end here with a poem. It's called Love by George Herbert. And I think it does such a beautiful job of giving you a picture of Christ what he welcomes us into. It says, Love bade me welcome, yet my soul drew back, guilty of dust and sin. But quick-eyed love, observing me grow slack from my entrance in, drew nearer to me, sweetly questioning if I lacked anything. A guest, I answered, worthy to be here. Love said, you shall be he. I, the unkind, the ungrateful, ah, oh, my dear, I cannot look on thee. Love took my hand and smiling did reply, who made the eyes but I. Truth, Lord, but I have marred them. Let my shame go where it doth deserve. And know you not, says love, who bore the blame. You must sit down, says love, and taste my meat. And so I did, and eat. 
Jesus is inviting us into something so beautiful. And you may have a lot of things that you regret in your life and that you are ashamed of. But he bore that shame on the cross. You may say, there's no way that Christ would forgive me. But it's already been forgiven and it's already been paid for and you just have to accept it and trust it. We love you guys and we want you to have your life and relationships, whether that's marriage, friendships, work relationships, centered around Jesus and live and talk in such a way that you honor and glorify your Savior. So may you go out this week and think through these seven myths because these, these can be applied to any relationship. You need boundaries. Other people can't complete you. It's not about your happiness. It's about your holiness and glorifying God. So may you go out this week and think, how can I honor and serve my creator and be an impact for the kingdom of God?